morning, church. Good to have you here today. If you're a guest, we're glad to have you. We like to say welcome home. We're especially glad that you're here. We welcome those who are joining us live stream as well. We're in a sermon series right now on discerning the will of God, a liberating approach to discerning God's will. Well, there was one fellow, he was on a diet, and he was very serious about it. He even changed the route that he took to go to work so he wouldn't have to pass his favorite bakery shop. However, about two weeks into the diet, he showed up at work and he had this big, big coffee cake, and his co-workers were giving him the eye. He said, now you don't understand, this is a special coffee cake. He said, I accidentally drove by the bakery today, and I looked over, and there was this beautiful coffee cake in the window, and I thought, this just can't be a coincidence, so I prayed, God, if it's your will that I have that coffee cake, cause a parking spot to be open right in front of the bakery. And he said, sure enough, third time around the block, there it was. Now, there's got to be a better way to discerning the will of God, and there is. So this is what we're working through in this month of August. And we had our first message last Sunday. And last Sunday, we're kind of laying a foundation here. We talked about the will of God in three different categories. And the question was, is everything that happens in life the will of God? The answer is a qualified yes, but it's qualified. It's not the will of God in the same way. So we talked about that which God performs. That's one category. These are the things that God wants to happen, and he causes them to happen. There is a category like that, but not everything that happens fits that category. There's also that which God permits. He permits. He allows these things to happen because he's not the only free will being in the universe. So he doesn't cause everything that happens, but certainly the things that do happen, he is permitting them to happen, even if he doesn't want them to. And then there's that which God prefers. Now, these are the parts of his will. He communicates them to us. He wants these things to happen. They may or may not take place depending upon whether or not we discern his will and we follow through and obey his will. All right, so that was last Sunday. Now, today, I want to put a different question on the table, and we're still kind of laying a foundation here. The question this morning is, does God have a specific plan for your life? Does he have a specific assignment, like a blueprint, so that there's a, a certain major that you should have, or a college? You've got some young people. Where'd you come from? On the front row this morning. They have to decide what college to go to. Well, does God want me to go to this college or this college? Does he want me to have this major or this major? Does he want me to go to college at all, or should I do an apprenticeship somewhere? Does God want me to live here or there? Does God want me to marry this person or that person, or just stay single? When does God want me to retire? All these kinds of questions. Is there a specific plan that God has mapped out for us? And our job is to discern what that is so that we can stay in that plan and his will. Okay? So I want to approach this kind of under three headings. Number one, we want to, get our, we want to do good hermeneutics this morning. So hermeneutics, it's a jargon word, but what it basically means, this is our methodology for interpreting the Bible. It's very important. If we don't interpret the Bible right, we can come to some false conclusions and set up some false expectations on our part as Christians. So the methodology by which we interpret the Bible, there's just some best practices when we're reading the Bible. Ephesians 5.17 reads, So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul writes to Timothy, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. So we want to correctly handle the word of truth this morning. Now, Here's two things. These are, these are common sense. But when we're reading the Bible, we want, to, we want to determine who is speaking and to whom are they speaking. Okay? That's important. 
for making a right interpretation and application. Let me give you an example, especially when it comes to God's will. Rick Warren is a well-known preacher in America, really around the world. In 2002, he wrote a best-selling book, The Purpose-Driven Life. Millions of copies sold all over the world. Many of you probably read that book. So in that book, uh, Rick cites in one chapter, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, which reads, God is speaking here, Before I made you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. Okay, this is God speaking to Jeremiah. Before I made you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. Now, Rick Warren goes on to write, after that verse, he writes for his readers, uh, for the general audience of Christians, what God told Jeremiah is also true for you. You were placed on this planet for a special assignment. Okay, so you see what Rick has done there? He's taken a passage and something that was spoken to Jeremiah. He's extrapolated from that a general principle. God has a special assignment for all of us, which sets up an expectation. Right? Well, how do I figure out what that is? Well, I need to pray or do things to discern God's special assignment for me. Now, this approach to the will of God is expanded on by Gary Friesen in his book, Decision-Making and the Will of God. Here's what he writes. God's individual will is that ideal, detailed life plan which God has uniquely designed for each believer. This life plan encompasses every decision we make and is the basis of God's daily guidance. This guidance is given through the indwelling Holy Spirit who progressively reveals God's plan to the heart of the individual believer. God wants to reveal His will to you more than you want to know it. God's ability to communicate as well is perfect. He never stutters. And on the basis of God's desire to communicate and His ability to communicate, I can say to you that you can know God's will for your life with complete certainty. So this is that camp that says there is a blueprint, there's a specific plan, there's an assignment, and our job is to discern it and to follow it in order to be in the will of God. But I think an error has been made here, a hermeneutical error. By what logic does Rick Warren say that what God said to Jeremiah is also true for you? Jeremiah was a prophet. He lived 600 years before Christ. He had a special ministry to the northern kingdom of Israel. Is that true? Did you know that God also told Jeremiah that he was not to marry? He was not to have children? He was not to go to funerals? He could not go to, he's forbidden to go to parties. Now, are those things that God told Jeremiah also true for you? If they are, then a lot of us this morning are living outside the will of God because a lot of us have gotten married and, or are thinking about getting married and some people have had children and we've gone to parties and we've gone to funerals. So there's, there's kind of a leap that was made there. We had to be very careful about setting up a false expectation. I was married May 22nd, 1982. Let's say Mary, May 23rd, the day after I got married, my, the best man for my wedding, his name was TJ, showed up at the door and knocks on the door. You know, Tammy and I are packing, getting ready to go on the honeymoon. And I open up, there's TJ and there's the four groomsmen. And I say, TJ, you know, what's up? What are, you, what are you doing here? And he says, we're here to go on the honeymoon. I say, go on the honeymoon? What are you talking about? And TJ said, oh, yeah, yeah, I was standing right there. I heard Tammy say, I take this man to be my lawfully wedded wife or husband. And what Tammy said to you is also true for me. And the other groomsmen are nodding their heads. That's right. That's true for us, too. I said, that's crazy. That, now, that's an absurd example 
of taking, you know, not discerning who's speaking and to whom, but it's surprising and, and a little disheartening how frequently this mistake is made when it comes to interpreting the Bible. So we want to make sure we're using good hermeneutics to begin with so we don't have faulty conclusions and false expectations. Now, the second thing I want to say here, we're talking about this is the question, does God have a detailed, specific blueprint plan for your life? The second thing we want to say is God has had a specific plan for some people's lives. We can read that in the Bible. God has had a specific plan for some people's lives. Jeremiah 1.5 is not a bad example. God said to Jeremiah, before I made you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. The apostle Paul said much the same thing. In Galatians chapter 1, he said, God set me apart from, my, from birth in order to be an apostle to the Gentiles. The apostle Paul said that. We think of others, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. These are people for whom God had a special assignment and a detailed plan for their lives. So, yeah, there's a category of people that, that, that fits them. But let's note two or three things about those people. Number one, the people who had a special plan, for whom God had a special plan, received a special revelation from God. Those people for whom God had a special plan also received a special revelation. You know what I mean by special revelation? I mean God spoke to them. Now, I'm not saying it was a liver shiver. It wasn't an intuition. It wasn't a feeling that they had. He spoke to them. How did Jeremiah know that God had set him apart from his mother's womb for a special assignment? God told him audibly. You read Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah's having these visions. There's a back and forth conversation going on between Jeremiah and God. How did Paul, the apostle, know that he was set apart from birth and to be an apostle and that he had this special assignment? Well, if you know Paul's backstory, most of you do. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. He had a conversion experience. He relates that conversion experience three times in the New Testament. Jesus appeared to him and spoke to him with a thunderous voice and told him what his assignment was going to be. That's what happened. In each one of these examples, how did Abraham know? Special revelation. Isaac, Jacob, how did Moses know? You know the story of Moses. How did God appear to him? Burning bush that's not consumed. And God spoke to him with an audible voice, voice from this burning bush. David, all the rest of them, those who had a special assignment from God and a specific plan received a special revelation. All right, here's a second thing to notice about them. There weren't that many of them. They're simply, you read the Bible and all the characters you read about in the Bible, there's just a handful that fit into this category of those who received a special revelation and had a specific plan. Uh, Peter in the New Testament he was talking to the household of Cornelius, and he was telling them the gospel and how Jesus had lived and died and resurrected. After Jesus resurrected, he made his what are called post-resurrection appearances. So he's raised from the dead. He spends 40 days appearing to people. Now, here's what Peter said about that. Acts chapter 10, verse 40. God allowed Jesus to appear not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. There weren't that many people who saw the resurrected Jesus. There were enough to establish that he had resurrected, but they were a select few. There simply weren't that many people who received to whom God appeared or to whom Jesus appeared. It was a select group. 
In fact, that's what made their revelation a special revelation. If it was happening to everybody, it wouldn't be special. In fact, this is, this is why, I think you ask, is there some application that we can take from Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5? God set me apart for this special purpose. Is there some application that we can make today as a general community of believers to the fact that Jesus appeared to Saul, who became Paul, and gave him the assignment to be an apostle? Yes, there is. This is why Paul relates that three times. This is why those verses are in the Bible. So that we, when we read what Jeremiah wrote, and when we read what the Apostle Paul wrote, and what Peter wrote, and the other apostles wrote, and the other prophets of the Old Testament to whom God gave special revelation, we will pay attention to it and listen to it because it's authoritative for our lives. Those were not just the words of men. They were the words of God. Paul related his special revelation experience not because it's something he had in common with all Christians. It's because it differentiated him from all Christians. He's an apostle. He said, I am speaking the words of Christ. He said, I can prove it by performing signs, wonders, and miracles. So pay attention and listen to what I say. It's authoritative. That's why those special revelations happen for the few people to whom they happen. And the other thing is, Here's a third thing to note. They still maintain their free will. Even if God appeared to someone and said, here's, your, here's what I have mapped out for you, they could say yes. They could say no if they wanted to. Acts 26, 19. This is the Paul again. He says, about the vision he received, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. So here's my conclusion in the matter. And it's an inference, and it's just me right here. And now I'm going to say, let me say a caveat before I say my conclusion, talking about whether or not God has a special plan for your life. The caveat is this. I'm, God can do whatever God wants to. I'm not trying to box God in and say, God can't do this. God can't do that. That's not, no, that's not for me. I understand. God can appear to anybody he wants to and say anything he wants to to anybody. Okay, so there you go. There's my caveat. Having said that, when you read the Bible and you see that there was just a few people, and if they had a special plan, it was revealed to them by special revelation, here's what I think follows. If you haven't had a special revelation, you do not, God does not have a specific plan for your life. God does not have a specific assignment for your life that hinges on a special revelation. Now, somebody may be thinking, but Steve, that's not what the other preachers say. The other preachers say, God loves you and he has a special plan for your life. He loves you and he has a plan for your life. And he does have a plan for your life. Well, we're going to get to that, and I know that. But I don't always say what the other preachers say. I mean, you, if you've been around long, long enough, you know, I don't always say what the other preachers say. That doesn't make me right. It doesn't make me wrong. But I just want to give you food for thought, okay, food for thought. No special revelation, no specific plan or assignment. Now, don't feel bad. There's nothing wrong with that. We're still, God still loves us because God does have a general plan for every person. He's got a general plan for each and every person. What is it? Romans eleven thirty six. 36. Everything comes from God alone. Everything lives by his power and everything is for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7. They are my own people and I created them to bring me glory. Why were we created? This is our purpose, to bring God glory. What is glory? <laughs> That's another religious jargon word. It is glory. Basically means the character of God, who God is. It's his radiance, it's his brilliance, it's his power, his mercy, his love, his grace, his justice, all these intrinsic qualities that make God, God. We are to reflect his glory. We're to praise him for his glory. 
We're to worship his glory. Where is glory? Glory is all around us. The glory of God. The Bible says the heavens reveal the glory of God. Creation reveals the glory of God. Uh, how does how do God's creatures give him glory? When we fulfill the purpose for which he created us. For instance, a bird brings God glory by flying and chirping and nesting and doing bird things. An ant brings God glory by crawling along the ground and doing ant things. God created an ant to be an ant and a bird to be a bird, and he created you and me to be you for certain purposes. What are those purposes? How can we bring glory to God? I mentioned Rick Warren earlier, and I, I, don't, I didn't mean to be uncharitable toward him in the book, The Purpose Driven Life. I think he made a mistake right there, but one thing Rick Warren's book does very well, and this is really what the gist of the book is all about, is identifying the five main purposes for which God has created us. And by doing those things, we bring glory to God. Let me review those with you. Take two minutes here. Because although we may know these, and most of us are already doing these things, it bears repeating. And I think he's nailed it. Purpose number one is worship. We're created to worship. Romans 6.13, use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. C.S. Lewis writes, in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. I know this is worship, but you know this one hour in church is not all there is to worship. Worship is a lifestyle, right? This what happens here is simply the overflow of how we're living the rest of the week. We live a lifestyle of worship, being thankful to God, enjoying God, praising God, loving God, appreciating God. That's Monday through Saturday, or what happens here really doesn't, doesn't count. So God created us to worship Him. Here's a second purpose, fellowship. Fellowship. Romans 15, 7. Accept each other just as Christ accepted you, then God will be glorified. Christianity is not just believing, it's belonging. When you were baptized, yes, you were forgiven, you were given the Holy Spirit, but God also put you into his family. Now you belong to the family of God, the church. So it's fellowship in a church. That's number two. Number three, discipleship. 2 Corinthians 3.18, as the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like the Lord, like Jesus, and reflect His glory even more. All right, so God, I mean, we come to just as I am, we come to Jesus, but He doesn't leave us that way. The Holy Spirit works within us to make us more and more like Christ. That means as we think, as we act, as we feel, and it's not just the Holy Spirit, it's a community project. We disciple each other, discipleship. One Christian helping another Christian become more and more like Jesus and love him more. Um, here's a fourth purpose, four out of five, service. This is how we glorify God, service. Peter writes, God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. Are you called to help others? Do it with all the strength and energy God supplies. Then God will be given glory. You do have skills and aptitudes and abilities and gifts. They're not given to you for a selfish reason. Those are all given to you to serve others, specifically, most, everybody, but most importantly, the body of Christ. And others were given theirs for the same purpose, service. And then finally, evangelism. 
2 Corinthians 4.15, Paul says, as God's grace reaches more and more people, God will receive more and more glory. So we don't want to keep all this a secret. We want to invite people to church. If you have that ability, sit down and share the gospel with folk. Evangelism. Five ways, five purposes. When we're doing those things, we're glorifying God. Once we understand that. See, we, 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 we have to go through a change of orientation in our lives. And, and we need to be reminded of this. Often, I know I do frequently, that life does not revolve around me. Life does not revolve around us. It's like a Copernican revolution. You know what Copernicus did for us? Before Copernicus, people thought of the solar system as geocentric. The earth was at the center, and the sun and the other planets revolved around the earth. That's what they thought, geocentric. Copernicus came along and he said, no, everything revolves around the sun. The solar system is heliocentric. The sun is at the center, and the earth and the other planets revolve around the sun. Revolutionary change of orientation. Likewise, we're egocentric, naturally. Egocentric. It's all about me. It's all about me. Everything revolves around me and what I want and how I feel. But when we become Christians, we go through a Copernican revolution. And our lives are no longer egocentric. Now they're theocentric. Theos, God. Everything revolves around God. We revolve around God. We will move and change our schedule our priorities, our attitudes to reflect glory to God. And by the way, that's where true fulfillment comes. Not just glorifying God, but to ourselves. True fulfillment comes and glorifying the Lord. So we, got, we want to get our priorities in order here. So every year, Morris and Ethel would go to the local county fair. And at the fair, they had a helicopter ride. And Morris wanted to ride the helicopter. Ethel, I want to ride the helicopter. And Ethel would say, I know, Morris, but it's $50. And $50 is $50. So no ride. And this went on year after year after year. And finally, they went to the county fair, and Morris says, Ethel, I'm 85 years old. I mean, it's now or never. If I don't ride it, I may never get to ride it. And Ethel said, but Morris, it's $50, and $50 is $50. Well, the helicopter pilot's been listening to this for decades. And so finally, he says, I tell you what, I've been listening to you two. I'm going to give you two a free helicopter ride with one condition. You can't say a word. You can't make a noise. If you can go through the whole ride and keep it quiet in there, then it'll be free. But if you say something, it's $50. They said, deal. So they hop on. They go up. Now, the pilot is trying every trick in the book to get them to cry out or to scream or to say quit. He's flying upside down and crazy eights and inside out. All his acrobatics, nothing works. So he lands the helicopter and he turns to Morris and said, man, I never would have thought it, but, but you guys were able to stay quiet the whole time. You know, it's free. And Morris said, yeah, you know, when Ethel fell out, I almost said something. <laughs> but $50 is $50. pretty bad. The moral of the story. Moral of the story. We've got to get our priorities right. Now, I know we're curious. What does God want me to do about college? What, is God, what about marriage? You know, what about a family? What am I supposed to live here? What am I supposed to retire? Where do I move? I know we have a lot of choices on our plate, and we're wondering, you know, is God going to help me with this? Or God does, have a, has he, does he have a preference? Is there one choice that's maybe better than the others? Does God care? 
Those things are important. And actually, the answer is, yeah, God does often have a preference. And yes, God will help us. And we're going to talk about that next Sunday and how that all works out. I know that's what you're maybe curious about. We'll, we'll talk about the way of wisdom uh, next Sunday. But for today, we want to make sure our priorities are right, that we've taken care of the big things. The main thing is God wants us to be Christian. He wants us to be saved. He wants to make sure our sin's forgiven. That's, he really, that's in, at his heart. And he's left that up to us. And if you think about this, the most important decision we could possibly make is whether or not to become a follower of Jesus, whether or not to be saved. God does not do that for us. He leaves that totally up to us. Is it any surprise, he leaves a lot of other decisions up to us as well. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to be worshiping him. He wants us to be fellowshipping in a church. He wants us to be in a path of discipleship. He wants us to be serving and ministering. He wants us to be sharing the good news. Make sure we're doing the big things first. Our Father in heaven, we simply want to praise you this morning as we remember, as we remind ourselves that we don't live in an egocentric world. It's not all about me. We live in a theocentric world. It's all about you. All of creation glorifies you. Animals glorify you. Sunrise, sunset, all glorifies you. And we are here. We recommit ourselves to glorify you with these great, purposes that you have given to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.